Hey guys, welcome to the Y Intercept. I am so excited for this week's episode. We all get to play a game together and it's one in which I'm just gonna come right out and say, I did not get the answer right. Before we get into the subject being about numbers, I wanna tell the story about why we're even talking about it. And that has to do with a different podcast. I was interviewed for the Sustainability Champions podcast and they put together a little prompt that I could prep with. And because this podcast was about sustainability, when I was brushing up on my sustainability statistics, I just didn't feel emotionally compelled by any of them. I had this really weird experience where I sat back and thought, oh, I don't wanna say any of these million Bajillion, quadrillion numbers. And it's not because they're wrong or they feel like they're misleading, but it's because they don't emotionally compel me to action. And that is the basis for the research of this topic. Why is it that we hear all these statistics all the time and they don't emotionally compel us? I really wanted to think about this in terms of my understanding of numbers because there's this very infamous quote that just kept haunting me the more I thought about this topic. And that is a quote by Stalin. You may have heard it, but he basically goes, one death is a tragedy. 1 million is a statistic. That is so sad. It is powerful to appreciate anecdotally why that makes sense. And now after having studied this subject, I can appreciate it neurologically as well. And I'm really excited to share that with you. Quick overview of this episode. We are gonna start with this game. We're gonna see how you do. And then we're gonna explore why it's so easy to get the wrong answer in that game to begin with. We're first gonna do this by looking at the neurological foundation for how numbers are encoded in our brain. And then we're gonna zoom out and talk about the strategies used for the particular game slash exercise. And finally, we are going to apply apply it when it comes to sustainability. So with that, we jump in. I am your host. My name is Samita Kathari, and I have a degree in cognitive science with a concentration in neuroscience from the University of California, Berkeley. I started my career at Google and then I worked at Stripe and I ultimately don't think that any of those are reasons you should listen to me. I think you should make up your mind for yourself. I promised you a little game, a little exercise, and we are going to play it right now. I want to highlight the brain-boggling magic of numeracy. Numeracy is this term that combines the words numbers and literacy. It's essentially your ability to understand numbers. And I discovered it through this book called A Numeracy, which was published in 1988 by John Allen Paulos. And it is really fantastic. If you're watching the video, you can see how thin it is. I highly recommend you go get it because it taught me a lot about my lack of numerical literacy, and particularly with regard to this puzzle that I'm going to give you. When we think of a million seconds, how long do you think that, that duration is? I'm gonna tell you, it's 11 days. Now, when you think of a billion seconds, how long do you think that is? If you're like me, you're thinking a million seconds is 11 days. What is a billion seconds? Okay, well, let me go a couple orders of magnitude up. I don't know, we've got 11 days. So now maybe we're thinking like 11 weeks, 11 months. Maybe we're kind of getting into the year time frame. And that already feels like such a big jump. The amount of time that is equivalent to a billion seconds is 32 years. 1 million seconds, 11 days. 1 billion seconds, 32 years. That is how big one order of magnitude is in difference. One more for you. How much time is equivalent to 1 trillion seconds? I will pause and give you a moment. Here's what he shares. If we were gonna go back in time one trillion seconds, we would be going back to the time of the complete disappearance of the Neanderthals and the early versions of Homo sapiens. One trillion seconds. That compared to a billion seconds, which is only 32 years. Orders of magnitude, huge, huge, huge impact. In my reading of this subject, I happened to find that there were numerous examples in which we as humans have consistently misperceived large numbers. Everything from the numbers that were used in the stories of the Bible 
to a study that was conducted at University of Washington where doctors were asked to assess the risk of various operations on their patients and it was found that most doctors were off by a full order of magnitude or several orders of magnitude. That basically means by a factor of 10. So this can really happen to anyone irrespective of age, industry, etc. This is just something that happens in the brain. And that is why we are going to talk about a study that was done to look at how numbers are perceived by our gray matter. The researchers of this study, which was done in 2013, had what I found to be just kind of a funny little perspective on this in which they said, look, we already know that our organs don't encode numerical information. When we're petting a dog, we're not going, oh, wow, I just pet 14,000 little hairs. Our fingers don't do that. And it's the same with our tongues. When we shove a bunch of chocolate chips into our mouth, our tongues don't go, oh, that was about 17. No, our organs don't encode this numeric information. And yet somehow we perceive it and we're able to process it. And you might be thinking, yeah, because we count with numbers. But the thing I appreciate that these researchers outlined was that there are certain societies that exist that don't use numbers. They don't have symbolic representation for numerical quantities, and yet they still have a numerical appreciation for things, which is quite fascinating. Because if you think about it, numbers are somewhat arbitrary. Right now, we use the Arabic number system, which is 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and we make all of our numbers out of those numbers. But before that, we used Roman numerals, and there's other cultures, obviously, that use their own symbols to represent numbers. So the fact that we have all these different symbols means that we're representing something that we have an awareness of, and these researchers wanted to understand how this awareness even comes to happen in our brain. They took subjects and they placed them in an fMRI, this big scanner, which stands for functional magnetic resonance imaging. And the place that they decided to look was where other senses are encoded in our brain. An fMRI measures where the oxygen is flowing in the brain because blood carries oxygen and where the blood is going is where the neurons are working super hard. So that's where there's activity. And fMRI is really great because you can see the change in blood flow over time. It's not a static point. So if you've watched House or Grey's Anatomy, and you see the brain scans with all the different colors and they're kind of heat map coded, like red, orange, yellow, and you can see how it's changing. That's what you're looking at. They showed these individuals different types of stimulus that had to do with numeric representation. They didn't show them numbers because as we mentioned, there's some societies that don't use numbers and still appreciate quantities. So they showed participants visualizations of numbers represented by dots, and they had participants quantify those numbers to understand where the sense of numerical ability was encoded. Now, what did they find? This is so fascinating. When they looked at the imaging data, they found first and foremost that there was this thing called a topographic representation of neurons in our brains that were encoded for this thing called number sense. And what that basically means is there's a place in our brain where a bunch of neurons get really excited to show up to work every day to think about numbers. And that place was in the parietal lobe, similar to touch, taste, and temperature. As just a little bit of an overview, this outer surface of our brain is generally referred to as the cortex. And the cortex is made up of four lobes. Lobes. lobes are basically just different areas that have different purposes. And some of them are for senses, but not all of them are for the same senses. So an example, the back of our brain is the occipital lobe and the occipital lobe encodes for vision. A really fun fact, if you've ever played a contact sport or unfortunately ended up in an injury where you have knocked the back of your head and you have ever seen stars or see nothing at all, that is because you are directly impacting the part of your brain that processes vision. That's the occipital lobe, it's in the back of your head. Now, if we move up a little bit, kind of closer to your forehead, Head, but not all the way, you get the parietal lobe. And the parietal lobe is responsible for a whole bunch of other senses. So these are things like taste and touch and temperature. This is ultimately where the researchers ended up finding our encoding for number sense. They found that it was on the right-hand side of the parietal lobe and that there was some activity on the left, but they corroborated the fact that there was a very specific place on the right-hand side because they looked at examples of brains that had damage to that exact region and found that those subjects actually had a decreased sense in their ability to perceive numbers. So 
So it was well validated that we have this place in our brain that is specifically used for numbers. Super cool. Here's the other thing that they found that was really interesting. That place in the brain had a higher preference for small numbers. Small numbers being numbers that were less than 20. When participants were shown less than 20 dots, that area of the brain had much more activity, what the researchers called numerosity selectiveness, than when participants were shown large numbers. Large numbers were less preferred by neurons in this area, and for that reason, they saw less precise responses when it came to them. So we have a really interesting basis for not only numbers resembling the way other senses are encoded in our brain, but also that it is less tuned to large numbers than it is to smaller numbers. So now that we understand that it's more difficult for us to perceive large numbers, how do we perceive large numbers? When we hear statistics like 100 billion items of clothing are created every year, how do we even perceive what a billion means? And to get to that, we get to look at the little experiment conducted by Landry et al. in 2015, which was with number lines. And I will link it in my show notes. If you are driving, if you are walking, it doesn't matter where you are. I just need you to be able to visualize something in your head. And I'm gonna give you the simple example, and then I'm gonna give you the real thing. Okay, simple example, just a number line where zero is on the left and 10 is on the right in ascending order. That's all I want you to picture in your head. Now, I'm gonna give you a number and I want you to place it on the number line. I do not want this to come off as childish, but I have to give you the easy example for the hard one to make sense. I'm gonna give you the number eight. On this number line, where would you place the number eight? Well, you probably place it closer to the 10. Great, now we're gonna do the real thing. I want you to picture a number line again. And on the left-hand side, I want you to put the number 1000. That is where this linear number line is going to start. And on the right-hand side, I want you to place the number 1 billion. That's where the biggest number is going to make this number line end. Left-hand side, 1000, right-hand side, 1 billion. Now, the goal is to accurately place the number 1 million. So go ahead and place the number million. Where does a million fall on that number line? You are going to fall into one of two categories of people in the way that you place this number. If you were in the first group, what you might have done is placed it on the number line about a third of the way from the left-hand side. So if we split this number line into thirds, a thousand is all the way on the left, it's the smallest. And then let's go about a third in, that's about a million. And then we got another two thirds left, that's the majority of the number line, and then we get a billion. Now, if you're in the second group, where did you place a million? You placed a million as close to a thousand as possible. You have a thousand and a million right there, right next to it, and then basically the entire number line left, and then you have a billion. If you were in the second group, you are right, and yet, how does this make sense? The reason that a million on a number line between a thousand and a billion needs to go as far left as close to the thousand as possible is because there are 1,000 millions in a billion. There are a thousand. So if we think about all the notches that need to happen, you need to put a thousand somehow on your number line and one million needs to be on the very first notch. And that's why it ends up being closest to the thousand mark as possible. If you're watching this, I'm actually inserting the image from the study so that you can see what these two different number lines look like. On the top, we have the correct representation. And on the bottom, we have the incorrect representation of what this number line might look like. In this study, what the researchers found was that the way that we perceive numbers is by category categorizing them. So when it comes to numbers like 1 million, we place that in this big number category. And when it comes to numbers like 1 billion, we place that into this even bigger number category. An example of this is in this study, they had them plot numbers like 10,000 and showcase how if you were in the first group, 
there was this massive gap around the million mark because you were grouping things together by these categories. You might put 900,000 a lot closer to the thousand mark because you're grouping that with thousands and 2 million closer to the million mark because you're grouping that with millions instead of where they might actually respectively go in that number line. And that is how our perceptions shift. If you were in the first group, you'd fall into this group of respondents that the researchers call overestimators. It means that in the context of what a billion represents, you'd overestimate a million. You see it as something so much bigger than it actually is. And so relatedly, you underestimate what a billion is. Because of our visualization and how we place a million in relation to a billion, we don't see a billion for the actual magnitude of what that number means. The other group of respondents that are able to proportionally shrink down their number lines so that a thousand and a million are much closer together and a million to a billion are much farther apart were the respondents that the researchers called linear respondents. So we have the overestimators and then we have the linear respondents. About 40% of participants in the study were overestimators, which helps us see this tendency to misperceive super large numbers is surprisingly natural. Funnily enough, this has been researched so much because it's been appreciated that this isn't really our fault. Over the majority of time during which our brains evolved, we were living in tribes and those smaller environments provided for much smaller numbers. We lived with people in the tens, maybe up to the hundreds, but certainly not in the thousands and millions and eight billion people that are currently on this earth. The way that this translates into our real life is because it's difficult for us to perceive large numbers, we might overestimate the impact of a number like a million and underestimate the impact of a number like a billion. I did throw in there earlier that a hundred billion garments are created each year. And that is really sad because we literally generate that much demand for a hundred billion items of clothing. And if you're going, no, we don't. I'll just share 50% of all fast fashion that is bought is dumped the very same year that it is bought. We've talked about this in other episodes, but it's not good quality. It it rips. Our trends move on. People get rid of it. I want to unpack this idea of 100 billion items of clothing being created every year so that we can get it to a place where we can actually understand it. 100 billion, big number, super hard to comprehend. But if we work backwards, 100 billion a year into months is still in the billions range. We're just dividing it by 12. Too big of a number. We get it down to weeks and that still too large. Not even going to go there. I had to get it down not to hours, but to minutes in order for it to be in the thousands range. If 100 billion items of clothing are created each year, that means 200,000 items of clothing are created each minute. That's insane. 200,000? Still too huge of a number. So how do we get it down even further? We get it down to seconds. That takes us to about 3,000 items of clothing created every second. Now to put seconds into perspective, because one second is just such a small amount of time, four babies are born globally every second. Four babies. Over 3,000 items of clothing. Same unit of time. Having said that, to get it down to the hundreds, we have to go to a tenth of a second. A tenth of a second means that 300 items of clothing are being made. That is the same amount of time as it takes you to blink your eyes. And to get it down even smaller to a millisecond, which is one one thousandth of a second, which is the fastest shutter speed on a camera, and a hundred times faster than a blink of an eye, we've created three new items of clothing in this world. I don't know about you, but a hundred billion does not mean nearly as much to me as four babies being born in the same amount of time as it takes us to create 3,000 items of clothing and then continuing to scale it even further down. That is the power of breaking things down into something that we can comprehend. Yes, there are hundreds, millions, gazillions of things that the fashion industry is doing to create stress on our environment and that's having really negative effects. But I want us to think back to the million seconds being 11 days and billion 
seconds being 32 years. Super small units actually having a really big impact. We tell ourselves, oh, we're too small and too small is too little because our brains can appreciate small numbers. And because of that, we fail to accurately estimate the impact of all of these small numbers in aggregate and how they can have a really outsized effect. One second is really small, but when you have a million of them, that's 11 days. And if you have a thousand sets of 11 days back to back, which might not feel like a lot, that amounts to 32 years. That is the power of a billion seconds. We have 8 billion people on this planet. I really do fundamentally believe that we can have a huge impact. Here's an example of how. In order to create one pair of jeans, it takes 2,000 gallons of water to grow the cotton and about 500 gallons of water to manufacture the jeans themselves. So in total, 2,500 gallons of water. If you, like me, heard that and didn't emotionally feel a whole lot of anything, I totally understand. Let's break that down into something that we can have impact over. What is another thing that we use water for all the time, anytime? Showers. If you're taking shorter showers or you're rinsing after workout and that's five minutes, that can be anywhere between five to 12 gallons of water. If we divide the 2,500 gallons to create one pair of jeans by a five minute shower, you end up with between 200 to 500 showers. Those are your showers for a whole year. So my challenge to you is if you can just find a way to repurpose one pair of jeans, either tailor them or cut them up and make them a new style and use that to replace what might've been a purchase, you will have just offset all of your showers for a year. And while I know it feels like it's a really small number, it adds up as we've already seen. So I believe that you can do it. And with that, if you learned something useful and it made a difference in your life, I would love if you could share this with just one other person. It is the best way to support this show. And if you wanna do them one better and send them the transcript as well, that will be up in a few days. You can find it on Substack and you can actually just subscribe to at the Y Intercept on Substack so it gets emailed to you right when it comes out. You can also reach out to me at buy.zoom or at the Y Intercept on Instagram, or you can reach out to me on my website, which is buyzoom.com and Twitter, which is at the Y Intercept. I'm also on TikTok. I'm also on YouTube, all variations of at buyzoom. I hope that you enjoy the rest of the seconds that you have left in this day. I will catch you next time.